Good morning. And a warm welcome to the service uh, this morning. Let's uh, pray together. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day and we thank you for your word which we have been singing. And we thank you that in your word as we read it and as we sing it and as we meditate upon it as we sing out these words, we thank you that you reveal yourself to us. We thank you that you are the God who who did not just create this world and create us and, and walk away. But we thank you that you are the God who, who is with us, the God who holds all things together constantly. And we thank you that you are the God who reveals yourself to us through your word. We don't have to look at the wonder of creation and wonder uh, without answers as to who lies beyond us. But we thank you that as we look uh, to the hills and beyond, uh, we are introduced in Scripture to the, the God who, who made all of this and who holds it together, the God who is our, our sun and our shield, the God who hears our, our prayers and who answers our prayers, the God uh, in whose presence our souls find rest. And we pray that you would help us this morning uh, to look in faith uh, to you and help us as we read your word and as we sing these praises Help us to hear the voice of God. Help us to sense the presence of God. And help us, we pray, to come to you in faith. We thank you that we can come. We thank you that in your word we are given that invitation, that call to come and worship and to come and find the forgiveness that our souls need. And we come in the name of Jesus your Son, our Saviour. We cannot come in our own name. We cannot come pleading our own righteousness because we have no righteousness. Even the, the good things that we would wish to do, our, our, our best good works, are as filthy rags when compared to the perfect righteousness of Christ. So we come looking to Jesus, trusting in Jesus. We ask, Lord, that we would be cleansed in the blood of Jesus that was shed on the cross for the forgiveness of sin. And we confess that we are much in need of that. We sin in our thoughts, we sin in our words, we sin in our silence, we sin in the things that we do. And as we look back over each week as we come here, we are conscious of how we have fallen and how we have failed. But we thank you that there is forgiveness. And so we pray that you would cleanse us, that you would wash our hearts clean, that you would create in us these clean hearts, these right spirits. And we ask, Lord, that you would clothe us in that righteousness of Christ so that we would know that we are accepted, that we are children of God, so that we would know that assurance, that we are safe in time and that we are safe for eternity because of the God who holds us. So hear our prayers and help us, we ask. Give us ears to hear, give us eyes to see. Grant to us that faith that would enable us to take hold of the, the grace that's offered to us in Christ. And we pray that we would know as we go from here that it was good for us to have come because not only were we in the presence of each other, but we were in the presence of God. We pray for those who are not here this morning. We are conscious of many as we uh, think about our congregation who are at home just now. Uh, we are conscious of many who have COVID this morning. And we pray, Lord, that you would uh, be near to each one, that you would lay hands of healing upon each one, and that they 
as they watch and listen at a distance, would uh, feel that they are part of the fellowship and that they would feel your presence uh, with them in their their own homes. We thank you that you are the God uh, who is everywhere. And so we pray for uh, those who are sick, asking that you would lay hands of healing upon them. We pray on for those who are grieving, those present with us and those absent from us. In this world, uh, we are constantly aware of those whom we have loved who, who go from time into eternity. We thank you that when they are in Christ, we have the assurance that they are saved, and yet we still feel the pain of loss. And so for those who feel that most acutely this morning, we pray that they would know your comfort. We pray for those who are battling with addictions. We think of Road to Recovery in particular. And we ask, Lord, for uh, those who feel the chains around them. We pray that they would know the power of Christ who is able to break these chains. So we pray for all who are in need. We are all in need. And we ask that you would help us. Meet us at the point of our need. And enable us to trust you. We pray on for our nation, asking that you would draw us back. We are far from you as a nation, and we ask that you would give to us that spirit of repentance. We pray for our world uh, that is so broken, a world where we see many of the signs that we were told to look for uh, that preface the return of Jesus. And we ask, Lord, that uh, you would bring peace where there is war. We pray that you would bring justice where there is injustice. We pray that uh, all nations would know the saving grace of Jesus. And we thank you that we look forward to hearing more of that global uh, ministry this evening. We pray for Bill as he prepares to come and speak to us. So hear our prayers, take away our sin, and lead us and guide us, we pray, as we seek to worship you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's pray, will we? Lord Jesus, we, we tell you, we confess that we, we do sometimes worry. Sometimes we find it hard to sleep at night because we're worried uh, about different things. It might be exams, it might be our health, it might be uh, our friends and when we fall out with them, it might be all kinds of things. Sometimes we we worry, but we pray that you would help us not to to keep on thinking about the things that worry us, but to, to think about you, to look to you. Because we thank you that you've told us that you love us and you've shown us how much you love us, Lord Jesus, by going to the cross to die for our sins so that we could be saved forever. And we thank you that we are safe forever when we're in Jesus. And even when we come to uh, the end of our time in this world, when we come to death, we thank you that we are safe in Jesus because he carries us through death into life that is eternal. So help us not to worry, but to trust you. We pray for all the the boys and girls in particular that they wouldn't be worrying, but that they would be trusting in you, the God who cares for them, the God who cares for us. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And we can turn in our Bibles to Luke chapter 20, please. Uh, We're reading from verse 20 through to uh, verse 44. But I'll read from verse 19. Jesus just, he's told the parable of the tenants. Uh, It's against the the religious leaders, they're not happy about this. And so it says that the teachers of the law, verse 19, and the chief priests looked for a way to arrest Jesus immediately because they knew that he had spoken this parable against them, but they were afraid of the people. Keeping a close watch on him, they sent spies 
who pretended to be honest. They hoped to catch Jesus in something he said so that they might hand him over to the power and authority of the governor. So the spies questioned him. Teacher, we know that you speak and teach what is right and that you do not show partiality but teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? He saw through their duplicity and said to them, Show me a denarius, whose portrait and inscription are on it. Caesar's, they replied. He said to them, Then give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. They were unable to trap him in what he said there in public, and astonished by his answer, they became silent. Some of the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to Jesus with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but no children, the man must marry the widow and have children for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers. The first one married a woman and died childless. The second and then the third married her. And in the same way, the seven died, leaving no children. Finally, the woman died too. Now then, at the resurrection, whose wife will she be since the seven were married to her? Jesus replied, the people of this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy of taking part in that age and in the resurrection from the dead will neither marry nor be given in marriage. And they can no longer die, for they are like the angels, they are God's children, since they are children of the resurrection. But in the account of the bush, even Moses showed that the dead rise, for he calls the Lord, the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living, for to him all are alive. Some of the teachers of the law uh, responded, Well said, teacher. And no one dared to ask him any more questions. Then Jesus said to them, How is it that they say the Christ is the son of David? David himself declares in the book of Psalms, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. David calls him Lord. How then can he be his son? And Jesus leaves the question hanging, and uh, we will do the same. May God bless that reading of his word to us. Let's pray as we turn back to God's word. Lord God, we thank you for your word, and we pray now for the help of the Holy Spirit. We need to have our eyes uh, opened. We need to have our minds cleared of all that would distract us. Uh, We need to have our hearts stirred, and this is uh, nothing that we can do ourselves. Uh, So we pray for the help of the Holy Spirit. And we pray that you would speak into our lives, that you would speak into our hearts. We pray that we would hear the voice of Jesus. And we pray, Lord, that you would give us faith. And what we pray for ourselves, we pray especially for the little ones. We thank you for them. We thank you for uh, the way they listen. We thank you for how ready they are to believe, how soft uh, we can see their hearts are. And we ask that as they hear, about Jesus this morning in Sunday school, that you would uh, help them to to understand and help them to believe. We pray that these young ones would grow up to be to be those who walk close with God. That you would use their lives to bring glory to your name. And we pray on for the, the little babies as well. We thank you uh, for them with us and for those who are at home as well. We pray, Lord, that uh, you would be near to them. We thank you for the answer that they are to prayer, and we pray for their physical protection when. We're aware of so many illnesses around at this time and we pray for their spiritual protection that they too would grow up to know and trust the Lord. And we pray on 
uh, for the children that are being carried in the womb, that you would protect them and that in your time we would see them and know the blessing of their presence with us in this place. We pray for other congregations around us as well. We thank you that the gospel is preached in all the denominations around us in this village and we pray that uh, you would be working in these churches as we pray that you would be working amongst us and we pray now that you would go before us, that you would take away our sin and help us to help us to believe. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 20, if you could have your Bibles uh, open in front of you, that would be, that would be helpful. And uh, just to give the context to this uh, passage, uh, this is the final week of Jesus' life in this world. Uh, we are on Tuesday, and Jesus will be crucified on Friday. And if you, I've got your Bibles open, if you look from, verse, from the beginning of verse 20, uh, where we uh, see Jesus' authority being questioned, and then there's the parable of the tenants, uh, and the, the clash with the religious leaders, uh, all the way through the section that we read, and further on uh, to verse 36, all the way through to the end of, almost the end of Luke 21. Uh, all that happened on Tuesday. So Tuesday was a difficult day for Jesus. There was a lot of opposition. Uh, there were a lot of clashes. Uh, it was a, a long day of controversy. And we're picking up today at verse 20 of, uh, of uh, chapter 20. And we're introduced in verse 20 to spies. So that's our first point, spies. Now when we think about spies, we, we probably think about, I guess we think about James Bond. That's where our minds likely go first of all. Uh, we think about a, a, a character in a sharp suit, very suave but deadly. Uh, we, we don't tend to think of spies strolling around in clerical robes, uh, carrying uh, theology books and ancient texts under their arm. And, and yet that's what we see here. Jesus, in this uh, section that we're looking at, he encounters spies. Verse 20, keeping a close watch on Jesus, they sent spies who pretended to be honest. They hoped to catch Jesus in something he said so that they might hand him over to the power and authority of the governor. So these spies, they have a special mission. It's to catch out Jesus. And, and like all spies or uh, special agents, um, they're working for someone. And so we ask the question, who are these spies working for? And we're told in verse 19 uh, that they were working for the teachers of the law and the chief priests. And the reason they were working for them is because these religious elites were looking for a way to arrest Jesus immediately. They have been against Jesus for a long time. They've been clashing with Jesus on every corner. And now they've had enough. Jesus has just spoken a parable very clearly against them. So they want rid of him immediately. So these religious spies were, were tracking Jesus. They were watching Jesus. They were listening to every word that Jesus said. One of the commentators, uh, J.C. Ryle, uh, says, an ignorant bystander would have said, speaking about the spies, these are sincere inquirers after truth. Try they looked. They were undercover. But says Ryle, all was hollow and unreal. It was the wolf putting on the sheep's clothing under the vain idea of deceiving the shepherd. Their words were smoother than butter. 
yet there was war in their hearts. So these seemingly honest men sitting in the congregation, uh, they, they weren't seeking the Lord as they came close to Jesus in order to believe in him. They were spying on Jesus. They were looking for reasons not to believe in him. They were building a case against Jesus. And we're looking back 2,000 years into this scene, and yet this is today still happening. Uh, there are many people still who are spying on Jesus, who are full of contempt towards Jesus, who, who, who are uh, always alert uh, to, to see an opportunity to speak against Jesus. That's still our day. There are still people who are spying on, on Jesus, who are spying on anyone who would say that they are Christians. And the reason they're doing it is just to try to justify their own reasons for, for not believing. And I, just, I wonder what's going on in our hearts just now. As we listen to what Jesus said in this passage, as we read about all the, the things that Jesus did, as Luke tells us in the, in the gospel, are we seeking Jesus in these moments? Because we want to believe. Or are there some spying on him with a, a deeply skeptical, cynical eye? So what was happening in that congregation, it can be happening in congregations anywhere. It can be happening from a distance. People watching this now or after time. What's going on as we look at Jesus? Anyway, verse 21 tells us the spies, as they get close to Jesus, they questioned him. Teacher, we know that you speak and teach what is right. And that you do not show partiality, but teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Smooth words. That's their approach to, to Jesus. It, when I read this, it, it kind of, it, it took me, um, my mind went to the Houses of Parliament. All these politicians, they, they, they're making speeches and they, they start their speeches um, by addressing the person that they're opposing as, as the right honourable gentleman. And yet you know that there is nothing that uh, would be within them that would want to call this person honourable. Their motives are not to give honour, but to destroy. And that's what was happening here. They approached very politely, but as Ryle said, there was war in their hearts. So they asked the question in verse 22, is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And this was a question that was designed to be a trap. They're not speaking to Jesus asking for financial advice. They're not speaking to Jesus asking for some direction politically. Uh, they're laying a trap. And if Jesus says in response, yes, it is right to pay taxes to Caesar, then the crowds, the Jewish crowds, would call him a traitor and, and say that he was a friend of Rome and they would turn on him. But if Jesus said it was wrong to pay taxes to Caesar, the Romans who were listening uh, would move in and arrest him for encouraging the crowds to, to disobey Caesar. So whichever answer Jesus gave, he was in trouble. He was on the brink of arrest. The question was, just who would arrest him? Was it the religious police or was it the Romans? Verse 23, it says, Jesus saw through their duplicity. That's a rare word, that word, duplicity. It's only, I think it's only used five times in the, in the New Testament. And it's a word uh, that uh, it's descriptive of what Satan did in tempting Eve in the garden. Paul uses that same word, duplicity, uh, to speak about the, the work of Satan. And, and Jesus, as he sees these suited uh, religious professionals coming towards him, as he hears their buttery words... He can hear Satan for all their disguise. 
Satan was speaking. And so Jesus, fully aware of their motives, uh, responds, verse 23, and said to them, show me a denarius. So Jesus, he, he said, um, has anybody got any, any money? Anyone got a denarius in their pocket? And somebody took out a coin and passed it to Jesus. Or uh, they're maybe holding it before they, they pass it on. And, and, and Jesus uh, uh, says to them, whose portrait and inscription are on it? And they look at it and they say, uh, Caesar's, verse 25. And Jesus said to them, verse 25, then give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And the spies were dismayed. They weren't expecting uh, such a wise, uh, carefully weighted answer. Jesus, first of all, he, he, he takes the coin, he focuses on the coin, and he says it's got the portrait of Caesar on it. It's got the inscription of, of Caesar on it. So, so give this piece of metal that you're obsessing over uh, with the inscription and portrait of Caesar back to Caesar. There's roads that we need to drive on. There's payments that we're walking on. There's bins that need to be emptied. And Caesar uh, is, is taking the, the, the responsibility of doing that. So, so give, give your portion, give your tax to Caesar. And then... Jesus turns to the Jews, and the Jews, the religious leaders in particular, they knew that they had been made in the image of God. See, that's the teaching of the Bible. Every one of us were made in God's image. The coin has the, 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 the portrait and the inscription of Caesar, or, or in our case, the queen in it. But every one of us has been made in the image of God. We have the portrait, we have the inscription of God on us. We've been made in his image which means that every little soul, uh, whether in the womb or, or whether uh, walking around in the streets, is precious. There's no write-offs. There are no little people. There are no worthless people. Everyone is precious because everyone is made in the image of God. And these religious people, they knew that. They were made in the image of God. That was the teaching of the Bible. And Jesus says, you're going to give the coin with the inscription of Caesar back to Caesar. But let me ask you this question. Are you giving your life to God? You've been made in the image of God, but are you giving your life? Are you giving your all to God? Give to God what is God's. And that's the issue that resonated. The issue of the coin was now gone, but they're dealing with this challenge of their own lives. They're not thinking about who the coin belonged to and how the coin should be used, but Jesus has challenged them about their own lives and who their lives belong to. And how their lives were being used. And that challenge comes from there to here today. Jesus is speaking to us. And he is saying to us, you were made by God. You were made for a relationship with God. What are you doing in your life? Are you trusting him? Are you giving glory to him? Is he first? Or is he number six on the list of priorities? Give to God what is God's. Augustine in that much quoted um, phrase in his confessions said uh, you have made us for yourself O Lord and our heart is restless until it rests in you and so that's what Jesus is teaching he's teaching that the, the relationship that we have been made for is to know God is to be in relationship with God and this is Tuesday and on Friday Jesus is going to go to a cross to, to carry away all the sin that keeps us back from God. So that as we trust in him, 
that we are brought close. We're brought into relationship with him. All we have to do is believe. All we have to do is come to the Lord Jesus and and ask him to to take our sin away, to, to wash us in his blood, to come into our lives. And we are given our lives, our hearts. We are giving to God what is God's. So I wonder have you done that? As Jesus looks at us today, as he addresses us, are we in relationship with God? Have we given him our lives? And for those who are Christians, for those of us who profess to be Christians, are we putting God first? Because it's not a case of just trust Christ and think no more. There's a wrestle. Uh, this world is a busy place. There are priorities, there are responsibilities, there are worries. So where is God on our list? Are we seeking him first? Are we making it our chief end to glorify him? Or is there work and family and friends and leisure and all kinds of idols and then God fits in somewhere down the list? This is an ongoing thing. Are we giving to God? Am I giving to God? My time, my talents, my money. Am I giving to God what is God's? So the spies now, they're on the back foot. They've come with this uh, very smart question that they, th- they were sure was going to trap Jesus. But uh, they're, they're leaving the scene now, uh, not with mission accomplished, but with mission failed. And it says they were unable to trap Jesus, verse 26, in what uh, he had said there in public. And astonished by his answer, they became silent. So we move from the spies to the Sadducees. And it says in verse 27, some of the Sadducees who say there is no resurrection came with a a question. And they have this uh, question in verse 28. Uh, You might wonder, who are the Sadducees? The Sadducees were kind of the, they were the aristocrats of the day. They were from uh, weighty uh, Jewish political families. So they had great influence in the culture. And so the spies failed, the Sadducees step up, and they're sure they can take Jesus down. Teacher, verse 28, they said, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but no children, the man must marry the widow and have children for his brother. So they start off from the position of truth. They they, they pick up on this uh, law, which we can find in uh, Genesis 38 or Deuteronomy 25. I'm not going there uh, just now. But they start at the position of truth. They open their Bibles and they, they, they say to Jesus, um, I, I want to speak to you about something and I've got a verse I want to speak to you about. And, and let me just say by way of warning, uh, most false teaching, the Sadducees were false teachers. They're against Jesus. But let me say, most false teaching, uh, most attacks on the truth will have a little bit of truth in them. I got a letter, uh, one of two letters in the last few weeks, and I I opened the envelope, I looked at it, and it was handwritten, and uh, it looked to be written by somebody who was maybe a a bit younger. Um, It was kind of maybe childish type writing. And it went something along the lines of, I'd like to write to you to encourage you with some Bible verses. I thought, that's nice. It's been a hard time, it said, you know, and and it's good to get encouragement. I thought to myself, yeah, that's, that's right. I want to tell you about the words of Jesus. Then they quoted Matthew 6, where Jesus says, don't worry about your life. And I thought, that's, that's a nice thing to write. And I thought, I wonder who these people are. And it said, if you want a little bo- more encouragement, then please contact X and Y. And I thought, who are these people? They had names. And I turned the letter over and I looked at it and turned it upside down. And eventually I saw just in the bottom corner, 
at jw.com. Jehovah's Witnesses. They didn't tell me that. I had to search hard for it. But it's a a tactic that we see uh, so often uh, in, in all false teachers. Start with the truth, but then carry on the conversation. Click on the website. And Jesus uh, will not be honoured, but the, the truth that Jesus teaches will be attacked. The person of Jesus will be attacked. The cross of Jesus by the JWs will be attacked. And that's the tactic that we so often see. And that's the tactic the Sadducees use. They start with the truth and then they launch this attack. Verse 29 to verse 33. They, they create this scenario, this ridiculous kind of scenario. Uh, there, was a, there were seven brothers, they say, verse 29. The first one married a woman and died childless. The second, then the third married her. In the same way, the seven died, leaving no children. Finally, the woman died too. Now then, they say, Jesus, with a smirk. At the resurrection that you, you, you talk about, whose wife will this woman be since the seven were married to her? And we can imagine them sniggering. We can hear the whispers amongst the Sadducees. Uh, we've, we've got them with this one. It's a story that was designed to, to, to mock Jesus and ridicule the whole doctrine of the resurrection. Uh, it was served up uh, to Jesus with, with, with lashings of sneering pride. But as it says in Proverbs 16, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. And Jesus shows in the next verses how easily uh, their argument can be destroyed. Jesus shows them uh, that they don't actually know the Bible that they're talking about. And first of all, Jesus deals with the marriage question in verse 34 through to verse 36. Jesus says, the people of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy of taking part in that age and in the resurrection from the dead will neither marry nor be given in marriage. And they can no longer die, for they are like the angels. They are God's children, since they are the children of the resurrection. So Jesus teaches very plainly, uh, there is no marriage in heaven, which is very hard for us to take in, because we are so close in marriage. We're so dependent on each other in marriage. Uh, But in heaven, although we will enjoy close relationships with each other, in an even fuller way, the, the greatest intimacy... Is, is with Jesus. The one that we look to and depend on eternally is Jesus. And so Jesus uh, says it's going to be different in heaven. So he deals with the marriage question. And then Jesus deals with the, the resurrection question. He, he refers to the writings of Moses, which the Sadducees said they believed. And Jesus shows them that Moses believed in the resurrection. And so if they were following Moses, they too should believe in the resurrection. Verse 37 In the account of the bush, says Jesus, even Moses showed that the dead rise, for he calls the Lord the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Jesus is using the present tense there. He doesn't say uh, that uh, that, uh, Moses calls him uh, the God who was the God of Abraham, who is now dead, Uh, the God who was the God of Isaac and the God of of Jacob. Uh, Jesus says in verse 38, he's not the God of the dead. Abraham and Isaac and Jacob are not dead. They're living. He's the God of the living. For to him, verse 38, all who are alive, all, all are alive. And the Pharisees, uh, who, who did believe in the resurrection and who were always fighting with the, the Sadducees, uh, uh, took out their notebooks. They loved that argument. They'd never seen that one before. They say to Jesus, uh, well done, teacher. We, we like that one. And then there's silence. And it says in verse 40, 
no one dared to ask him any more questions. And that's the third point. Uh, their silence. The spies come against Jesus, so confident they're going to take him down, and they're silenced. Verse 26, they're unable to trap him uh, in what he said there in public. They were astonished by his answer. They became silent. And now the Sadducees, after their failed attempt to stand against Jesus, uh, they're silenced. It says in verse 40, no one dared to ask him any more questions. So we can visualize it on that day. All these guys who'd arrived with their, their chests puffed out, so confident, are now silent. Nobody wants to speak. And there's two things I want to, to note about the silence, just very briefly. Uh, the first thing is that the silence gives a preview of what is to come for those who will not believe. There were some on that day, and there are some here on, on this day, who are determining that they will not believe. And the silence gives a preview for how it's going to be on the final day if we stick in that position. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the, the spies and the Sadducees, it's not that they wanted to be silent. They, they probably wished they had a whole uh, notebook full of uh, smart uh, answers to be able to, to give to Jesus, but they realized that they didn't. They realized to their humiliation that they, they could not get one over on Jesus. And you know, when Jesus returns to this world or calls us from this world, all of us will stand before him. But not one of us will be able to stand against him. And those who have gone through this life standing against Jesus and sneering at Jesus and debating and arguing and creating all kinds of barriers and obstacles to, to faith in Christ, all these people who've been so full of words on that day when they stand before Jesus will be silent. On the day of judgment, there will be no more objections to Jesus. There will be no more debate with or about Jesus. There will only be silence. So that silence gives a preview of how it's going to be for some. But the second thing is that the silence gave all who were there uh, the opportunity to repent and to believe. I mean, these men who came with their clipboards to take Jesus down, they have the opportunity at this point to repent and to believe. And we might say, you know, is that really possible that those who, who were so determined against Jesus would have that opportunity? And it is. Nicodemus, Joseph of Arimathea are two examples of that. They were high-class religious leaders. They were part of these plans to take down Jesus. To what degree, we don't know. Uh, but uh, Nicodemus was described as Israel's teacher. He was the top man. But he repented. We don't know exactly when. We don't know exactly how. But he did. And he believed. Maybe it was in this silence. Eventually, he submitted. And today, in, in the silence of this place, so we've come apart from the normal things of this world, uh, there is opportunity for anyone no matter who you are, no matter what you've done in the past, no matter what skeletons may be in the cupboard, uh, no matter how much we might have been against Jesus and for how long we might have been against Jesus, uh, today, if you can hear this, there is opportunity for you to repent and to believe in Jesus. And some might say, why should I? Who really is he? And that's the question everybody was asking on that day. Who is this? 
He's doing these amazing miracles. They were all witnesses to it. He can silence the most powerful men of our day that nobody else can stand up to. Who is this? And now Jesus answers that question. And just in a, in a word, let me give you the answer that Jesus gives in, in verse 41 to verse 44. Jesus, uh, he, he shows himself to be the son of David and the son of God, the Christ. Some of our young folks this week were, were doing um, higher English and I remember back to these days uh, when you were doing these kind of exams and studying texts. There were some texts that you knew well and you kind of hoped a question would come up on these texts. And there was other texts that you just didn't really get, you didn't properly grasp. And you just hoped that they wouldn't appear on the exam paper. You hoped there would be no questions on the difficult ones. And Psalm 110 was a text that the religious leaders, uh, they just didn't understand. And to their dismay, Jesus in open court, with a big audience, decided that he was going to ask a few questions. So Jesus said to them in verse 41, How is it that they say that Christ is the son of David? David himself declares in the book of Psalms, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until, my, until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. David calls him Lord. How then can he be his son? And all the religious bosses, they didn't have a clue how to answer that one. Because the answer to that question was Jesus. It's like the children, you know, in the, in the children's talk. Um, Michael said to me today, I think I know where this is going. And the answer ultimately to every question you ask the children is Jesus. And the answer to this question that Jesus asks of Psalm 110 uh, was Jesus. Jesus was the son of David. His ancestry could be traced back to, to David. Jesus was fully man. He needed to be fully, fully man uh, if, if he was going to take our sin from us. But Jesus was not just a son of David. Jesus came before David. Jesus uh, was the one that David called uh, Lord. Jesus was the son of God. Jesus was the Christ. Jesus uh, was the only one who could deal with the enemy of sin and Satan and death and give God's salvation to us. So as Jesus opens up Psalm 110 and says, tell me the answer, he's showing them the answer. He's revealing to them that he was the answer and he was calling them, even in that moment, to come to him. Even on Tuesday before Friday, even in the face of such hostility, Jesus was calling these men and the women in these crowds, to come to him to find rest for their souls. But they would not. So with war in their hearts, they continued to reject Jesus. And the question I want to, to finish with is, uh, uh, what do you say about Jesus? And what will you and I do with Jesus? Will we believe that he is the son of David, who, who takes our sin from us, and he is the son of God, who brings God's salvation to us, will we come to him and will we find rest for our souls? And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of God the Holy Spirit be with us all now and forevermore. Amen.